I am so hungry, but I have no idea where to go. We've all been in that situation before where we want to go out either alone with our partner or with a group, but we don't know how to choose a restaurant. You could use a review website, but you're not really going to know what it's like until you actually taste the food yourself. Mm -hmm. Plus, no review will actually give you an exact picture of what your experience is going to be like, especially since you don't know the person who wrote the review. One person's intimate atmosphere is another person's bumping elbows with the table next to me. There is an easier way, of course. Ask a friend. Even if you don't know each other that well, you'll have enough context to avoid the analysis paralysis and just jump in. Decisions will be made and you will feel even better about that decision because you feel that you got primary advice. This word of mouth is every marketer's dream. You want a product and experience that is so good that people can't help but recommend it to their friends and acquaintances. It's hard to brute force though, as you know, pushing it can come off way too salesy and you also have to do something. So it's a delicate balance. And this is where our guest comes into play, Yusuf Biaggi. Yusuf drove word of mouth growth at Ease, Class Dojo, Disney, and Zenga. And nowadays you can find him as a contributing writer at Reforge, where he publishes word of mouth acquisition research, which he began seven years ago. His plethora of knowledge is something that you'll want to stick around to hear about. And maybe after you're finished, you'll pass it along yourself with your own little word of mouth marketing. From Profilwell Recur, it's Protect the Hustle where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Yusuf Biaggi gives us the lowdown on word-of-mouth marketing. We talk about a variety of topics like de-stigmatizing the cannabis industry, how to measure word-of-mouth, creating delightful moments, the ingredients for strong word-of-mouth, and missteps to avoid in the word-of-mouth process. Who are you? What do you do? And uh, tell us about yourself. Yeah, my name is Yusuf Baiji. I was uh, most recently VP of growth at Ease for about three years. And Ease, for people who don't know, is the largest cannabis delivery startup in California, accounts for a significant portion of California's legal cannabis tax revenue and an order of magnitude bigger than any other uh, competitor. Um, so I was there for three years, and prior to that, you know, I've spent my time in small startups, big big companies like Disney, Zynga, and then you know, Capulus, which got acquired by Disney, all in kind of the growth space. I kind of stumbled into the growth space before it was called growth, and that's been my journey. And right now, I decided, you know, cannabis was a pit stop in my career, um, not the destination. And I left at the end of last year and uh, I've been spending basically 50% of my time doing consulting advisory work for high growth startups, uh, another 25% of my time writing and 25% um, just kind of on pet projects. That's cool. Yeah. And you said uh, cannabis is a pit stop. I'm sure there's all these memes. There's all these crazy things about you know the cannabis industry right now. Like what do people get wrong about the cannabis industry, at least from the outside, if, if you can kind of detach yourself from obviously being on the inside. Interestingly enough, when I joined this company, I had never consumed cannabis. And I told them that coming into the interview, but it just seemed like an exciting, unique challenge. And I actually had my own preconceived notions about the industry. You know, I was like, is this a gateway drug? Is this a net negative for society? You know, that was a, a big consideration for me. And so I told them, this is an open question for me. And, you know, I want to give it a shot after two months, I'll learn a lot more. If I believe this is a net negative for society, I'll leave. I'll leave. Um, and if not, like, I'm all in. 
So I joined and I think what was most interesting to me was some of the user research we did where significant majority of the people said when they started using cannabis, their drinking decreased, their use of prescription drugs, you know, painkillers decreased, um, or they stopped using it altogether. And then another really key insight was that the vast majority of people who used it, when you ask them why, they said it was for health and wellness rather than like partying or being a stoner. Yeah. Now, perception is, can be different from reality, you know, not sure exactly what it is, but at least the intention there was for um, health and wellness. And I thought that was really cool. And at least for me, destigmatized the the industry completely. Yeah. And when you think about working in that kind of industry, like you mentioned, obviously it's, you know, or alluded to, obviously it's federally problematic right now, you know, and state by state, you know, is basically, you know, making it legal. What was that like? Because, you know, as, a, as someone for growth, obviously the state of California is enormous, you know, where Ease, Ease was at least based. Is it just California or are they elsewhere now as well? They're elsewhere now. But when I joined, there were California and it made sense to go deep because the network effects of that type of delivery business was just so immense, that yeah. intense, that we were first like, let's just crush it. It's the sixth largest economy in the world, larger cannabis market than all the other uh, adult recreational markets combined, Jeez. like all the other markets combined. So yeah, we started there and now we're, we're expanding. Yeah. So what do you think the future of that industry looks like? Is it going to be like alcohol or bigger than alcohol based on what you just said? I think it has its place. You know, as you think about those user serves and user research that I mentioned, where people yeah. were decreasing their alcohol consumption, decreasing their um, prescription drug usage and using cannabis as a as an alternative to that hmm. so it's definitely gonna what i think for the better take part of that industry tbd how much but you know investors are very 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 excited about the, the potential size for that industry it's one of those things where we know the tam is large but we're not quite sure yeah. the size it could be like getting in on oil you know on the ground floor getting in on alcohol on the ground floor or it could just be a enormous tam that's you know fantastic but you know it's kind of that you know seemingly lower risk um, very very high reward which is always attracting people you mentioned that you had left right and so you said it's a, a pit stop not the destination like tell me a little bit more about that is it like how do you think about your destination especially as someone who's you know dealing with growth in exciting industries obviously you had previous experience in other types of industries mobile gaming these types of things like how do you think about your destination That's hard I still don't know what the end destination is but I know what I look for at every pit stop and you know the the ingredients there are a company industry you know something that is really at like an inflection point from like a, a growth standpoint or, you know, just figuring stuff out standpoint and typically B2C, but not exclusively. And just something that like I can get excited about. I would say the two examples in my career that really have fit that and where I've spent the most time are first mobile gaming in 2010. This is like a company called Tapulous, got acquired by Disney. It was like the first mobile gaming real franchise before there were mobile gaming franchise think like 2010 steve jobs is like yeah. playing this up on stage in keynotes and at that point like it was the wild west there were all these users had migrated to spending their time on uh, mobile rather than like their desktop or their laptop so you have all these consumers on this new platforms but not a lot of businesses and no set playbook so you join you get to figure it out which is the exciting part and if you figure it out you grow much quicker than everyone else. I stayed there 
until I kind of got bored. I felt like, you know, this has been figured out. There's a lot of people just kind of copying the playbook and ease was the next thing. 2017, it's an industry that's an inflect point from a consumer demand, legal, regulatory stigma standpoint. And so really high growth. It was growing 10% month over month when I joined for quite a while. Before I joined, they said, hey, here's our problem. We have been growing 10% month over month. Our challenge at the moment is user acquisition is flat, meaning we're getting new users, but the same number of new users every month. And that's our current bottleneck to growth. By the way, you can't use the any of the digital channels, Facebook, Google, or like whatever like is like the standard playbook. You can't use that. So can you help come in and figure out how to grow this business? And I said, yeah, that's awesome. That's like my type of challenge. So it's a, a long answer, but I'm looking for those types of experiences wherever that takes me. I'm going to start calling you the word of mouth guy. Because I think that uh, you, you've written some like fantastic research and, and obviously had to you know do this with ease. Like, how do you think of, about word of mouth? Let's just stop there. Start there. Like, what is word of mouth? Why is it so crucial? Obviously, if you're in a protected industry, you kind of have to use it. But what do people get wrong about it? That that maybe is a good way to start. What people get wrong about word of mouth is that it is that you can't measure it, and thus you can't influence it. And that was the idea behind this research was to figure out a way to measure it so that you can actually influence it. A lot of people have done these surveys. They talk about what is like the largest influencer on your purchase behavior. Number one, it is um, word of mouth from family and friends. Like that is the biggest consideration when people make a purchase. For some industries, that's like the like number one way that it happens. Like there are some companies, like uh, one that I, I worked with for a bit, Class Dojo, where they spend zero zero dollars on paid acquisition and they were in 90 percent of schools across the u.s their only channel was word of mouth virality so let's start there like how do you measure this right because I, I think some people it's just the very simple like well we'll have a how did you find us about us survey and then they'll just fill that out and that's it like how how would you go about that if i was trying to take you know for our product and, and basically let's just figure out what our what our word of mouth looks like yeah so let's take like a, an, an average product, especially one that doesn't have a mobile component, which a lot of B2B uh, businesses do. And most of what they are able to attribute from new users who come in is like all these like major sources. Like if someone comes from a paid ad, you know it, you can track it. You know, if someone comes from, you know, something in your product flow, you know it because it's all trackable. Like that's the yeah. internet. Now there's this big remaining bucket, which is like untracked. Sometimes it's called direct. Sometimes it's called something else. And that, you know, effectively is the grab bag. But for what I believe, it's mostly word of mouth when you peel it back. So we know what those numbers are, but you don't know, you know, what is driving that. Like, how can I actually influence that? Like, you know, for these other inputs, paid ads, you know, I got, I spent this much and I got this many direct clicks to my website. There's no analogous thing for word of mouth. There's just, hey, I know this number of people showed up. And so what we were trying to do was set out a way to actually be able to predict those organic users that you would get in a meaningful way. Because again, if you can measure something, uh, you can manage it. Mm. So how do we measure it? I think the question is, how do you uh, predict it? So you can measure it because you're like, all right, I've taken all my new users and I've subtracted out everyone else who I can track. Okay. You know, and now I have this leftover, which is for some companies is 50%. Other, other companies, it's like 80%. Now, 
how do you predict it? We wanted to create something where you could predict using active users. So the central hypothesis here is that you know, active users drive word of mouth slash organic users. Like the people who are using your product are the ones who are going to talk about it. That's as opposed to people who've stopped using your product or people who've never used your product, sure. right? Like those are not the people who are going to be talking about it. It's the people who use it. And the more people use it, the more they talk about it. But what we want to see is like, is it at a consistent rate? So if I can measure how many people are coming to my, to my product and using it, which is a metric that everyone tracks, like just active users, yeah. does that predict new word of mouth users, new untracked users? And if there is like a, a statistical relationship there, then you figure out how to predict it. And that's the first piece in the puzzle. Mm. So if I follow you, I have this direct channel basically, which is all the things I can track, assuming I'm tracking, which is probably the first assumption, because I'm sure you've been in companies <laughs> where you're like, I can't believe you're this big and not tracking things. But basically, I have all the things I can track, and then I have that delta that is essentially, that's my direct, and, and most of that, are, are it's safe to assume that that is you know, word of mouth. Now I want to correlate that or look at that on top of my active users, right? And basically see, does that piece go up when I have more active users, or does that piece go down? Is that, am I following that correctly? Yeah, that's exactly it. And does it maintain the same proportions, right? Mm. So is this like, what we're calling, what we ended up calling the word of mouth coefficient, is that consistent? Is it like for every 10 active users, I get one new organic user? If I scale up my activity, my active users, does that ratio hold? That was sort of the crux of the research. We wanted to see using statistical analyses and across a bunch of different industries and companies, like does, does that hold? Um, because that's the first thing, right? If you can predict something as active users, which is becomes your denominator changes. If you can predict how much your numerator changes, yeah. then you have something that's like actually measurable. What did you find in the research then? I feel like I know, but we found that it works for um, a lot of, a lot of industries. This actually started in 2014 in mobile gaming. You know, I joined Zynga. They said, Hey, we got to move to mobile. We don't know how we want someone to figure out the big shit we're not doing and go do it. So one of the first things I did was build the growth model. And I remember I did it and I was like, okay, we have this great model. And now there's this one plugin, which is new organic users. And that's like almost 50% of what accounts for the growth of this forecast of the entire life, this app of this mobile game that we're going to launch, but it's just a hand wavy forecast. So it's kind of like a hallway conversation with my friend, Tomas Pueyo, who he's kind of turned into this coronavirus celebrity recently. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, I have this problem. And he's like, hey, I thought about looking at it this way. And I was like, hey, why don't we look at it more deeply? And we did it across all of our games. So that's where we validated in 2014, kind of shelved it after that. You know, I left mobile gaming. And then when I was working in ed tech, you know, most recently, I, I saw, I was like, wow, some of these products are all driven by word of mouth. It's teachers talking to teachers because they're not sophisticated in terms of like digital, right? That's one of the challenges of that industry. And when I spoke to what, like a lot of teachers said, you know, how do you share this? And they, they're not saying like send an email or I clicked on like an invite link. It's I went to someone else's classroom and told them about it, or I went to a staff meeting and presented about it, or I heard about it. Staff meeting. Like that was it. There were a lot of instances like that where it was like really apparent that it worked. And then from a statistical analysis standpoint, there were a number of other industries. I think a lot of the characteristics you would see 
is that large enterprise industries with enterprise sales, those did not work. But the closer it was to dealing like B to C. So as example, like B to small business, the more you had those characteristics and like the larger number of like customers, the more likely that that relationship would hold and you could model it. So this might transition us into like, how do you influence it, right? It's more of a descriptive model of like, you know, historically, this is what you look at and you can kind of predict it based on, hey, we knew when we had 10 active users, we would get one direct. Therefore, you know, we have 10 active users next month, we'll get another direct and then, you know, we'll get some compounding there, obviously. But, um, well, maybe not quite compounding, but you get what I'm saying? Like, so is the secret just, it can't just be increased active users, Right. Is that what you're kind of proposing here to increase word of mouth, I guess is what I'm saying. It's one lever, but it's not the core idea, right? The core idea is, can you do something to your product? Can you work on things, whether they're product driven or they're marketing driven that can actually change that ratio. So instead of getting, you know, one new organic user for every 10 active users, can you double that? And, you know, if you were to model it, like that's actually makes a, a pretty large impact on your business, just doubling that ratio. Yeah. And that's the idea. Uh, I can get into specific examples if you want. I'd love to, like, what are some things like if I was like, Hey man, I got a current coefficient of one, as you kind of said, let's maybe stick with the, I got 10 active users and I'm getting one. So 10% or however you want to look at that. How do I increase that to 20, 30, 40, 50% or, or even further? Yeah. For me, the crux of it is you do things that really delight users this all sounds kind of like fuzzy and conceptual. I was just about used, to say it, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for me, it, it used to be, and that's kind of the power of this is before they say you make a great product, you release something cool, everything else will follow. Well, how do you actually like measure that? So this is the idea. Like if you launch like a cool feature and everyone talks about it, everyone loves it, then you should see that ratio increase after release of that feature. Same thing with like some a marketing campaign. If you do something that fundamentally changes how much they talk about it, just really delights the active users, you should see that ratio go up. And I did see that in ed tech, a certain product, right? Like I worked with a number of companies, but teachers loved this product and it was used pretty extensively. Um, and when we released features that just made their lives better, like just exactly like in the community forums, how much they would talk about it and how many more new users would actually come in. It wouldn't be like a, change it for a long, long time, but it would be for like a meaningful bump. Yeah. Um, and that's what you look for, right? If you're starting for your company, first you want to see like, you want to do this analysis and just say, Hey, like statistically, is there a strong correlation? After that, you want to plot this metric over time and see like, when did it change historically? Like when were those blips? Then you hone in on those blips. You talk to your product team, your marketing team. What did we do during this time that could explain these blips? And you know, a lot of people have different contexts on the business, but hopefully that leads to some, you know, digging deeper and hypothesis building. I'm like, aha, these are the types of things that actually drove word of mouth in a meaningful way, made our, our users more word of mouthy. Hmm. If you can figure that out or at least come up with good hypotheses, then you're like, all right, let's now try and actually build around that, whether it's like sure. marketing activities or, you know, product features, product releases. You know, hopefully you do that and that's where you see word of mouth increase. Yeah. So what you're saying is kind of the core piece is one, obviously study where those blips occurred and then 
form a hypothesis. You know, nothing's ever perfect in terms of data like this. But I guess what's the time frame, right? Right? Because sometimes this is hard to measure around, you know, the the precise moment that that had an impact, right? Like unless it's like a giant feature that it's like very clear when something happened. Like I'd imagine, you know, oh, we did four product releases and then our word of mouth coefficient increased that next quarter. I guess that's the only different thing we did that quarter versus the previous quarters. Is that kind of how you would look at it? And correct me if I'm wrong. Your question is more like, what is the time frame that you're measuring this metric? Yeah. So, well, like as an it's, example, it's less about. It's more about like when you're putting these hypotheses together, like, and this is kind of an impossible question because we're not talking about a specific company. But when you're putting these hypotheses together, like it's hard to pinpoint when that blip went up, right? So, are you looking at like? month over month, week over week, quarter over quarter, like changes? Or, or how do you think about that? And I'm sure it's different for every product. Yeah, it's, it's different for every product. When I first did this at Zynga, it was daily. So yeah. daily active users, we would look at what did this metric look like? New organic users on day X divided by active users on day X. So it would actually be looked at like as a daily metric. Now, for other companies, when we expanded this research outside of just mobile gaming, we were a little bit more robust. I said, like, let's look at it both daily, weekly, and monthly and do the statistical analysis for each one of them and see which one holds, makes the most sense, not just from a data standpoint, but also like if you were to put your product hat on, like how, what is the frequency that users use this product? Is it weekly or is it daily? And a lot of the products that work typically weekly active user, like looking at this and looking for blips on a weekly basis was the right fit. It's, it's a little bit harder when it's monthly, just because there's more things that happen and you have fewer data points too. The core of this is, you know, create those delightful moments. Um, and those are hard to define. That's why you have to do this analysis. Now it's kind of like retention, like, of course, like fix your product. Like that's the first part, but then there's this other, maybe it's, 30 to 60% or 30 to 50% of, of word of mouth or just like retention that's tactical, right? Like assuming we have, you know, a maybe not quite natural word of mouth, but assuming we have decent word of mouth, what are some examples of delightful things that you've seen at Ease or at Zynga or, you know, just in the market? Yeah, I'd say going back to ed tech examples. So if your customers are teachers, their lives are already so, so difficult. And it's even more difficult with remote learning. Mm. So anything that makes their life easier, now if you were to put your marketing hat on, showed emotional support, that you were providing them emotional support, those were like tactical things that you could do. So when the pandemic struck and everyone had to close down school, teachers were just like, their headspace was in a mess. So even just doing stuff like webinars, Mm. where you start the webinars by saying, hey, we feel for you. We're going to get through this together. That was like such a relief. And that got so many people just talking about like these webinars, actually. Like it was crazy. Like I remember I had my hands on the wheel for these these webinars and you could just do Facebook ads and you just see like how many people would be just tagging other people to talk and say, hey, like this is amazing. You should just check it out. Yeah. So that's like, I think one example on like the marketing side on the like product side. Again, let's just use teachers because that's, that's such a hard industry. You're trying to get parents involved. You're trying to get students involved and you just don't have like great tools. So if you can do something, which is like 
okay, we're going to make your life easier for scheduling and you already have like a product that's widely used, release that feature. There's a good chance teachers are going to be like, oh my God, like it's easier to get parents to come to meetings. That's like amazing. And that's the stuff that would drive word of mouth within those communities. So I guess another way to look at it is, I mean, it's classic products development, right? Which is what are the things that suck for our user or that our target user, right? What are the things that aren't great from not only the thing that you actually offer, but just the things around their life. Now, tactically, do you make it easier for them to share? Do you make it easier for word of mouth to exist? Like, how do you, how do you kind of grease the skids as they say to help with this? Like, what do you think of referral for programs? Like, you know, what does that look like for you? This is a great question. And my thinking has evolved on this. Here's where I am now is one of the key things you have to do as part of this is you have to sit down and talk to a bunch of your customers and ask them, talk to me about a time you shared a product you really liked. It could be an ed tech product. If it's mobile gaming, you'd say a mobile gaming product. And you like listen to them and understand like how they share it. And you keep asking like why. Mm. And for teachers, by doing that, you're going to come out and see that it's not a viral flow. It's again, talking, like presenting in a staff meeting right? Or going into a teacher's room. So if it's a staff meeting, then you're like, let me develop around that because they're presenting. So let me like make materials that make it easier for them to, to share this product and like highlight this product. And then you're like, okay, well, when, like, what are the instances where they would hold like a staff meeting or they would participate in a staff meeting? Maybe it's like after they've used the product so many times and their retention is at a certain level. So you kind of build around it that way. And again, because the flows like teachers aren't going to go through digital flows with ed tech products. What you'd be doing is you'd be looking for those blips. You'd be looking for those word of mouth blips, like changes in this word of mouth coefficient as you're like facilitating that as you're releasing these like almost like offline viral flows for teachers. Do you ever work to attribute, Hey, Judy, fifth grade teacher in Peoria, Illinois referred us these three people. Like, do you ever work on that? Or is it something where you're just like, eh, it's like diminishing returns to get that granular? I haven't gone that deep yet. I think there is value there. I think you have to tread, tread lightly around privacy. But, you know, if you have that information, if you do have it on the user level and you know, like, hey, these are the users who are being more word of mouthy than others, you can study that. You can understand that or just give them more information, right? Like once you find out that someone is really has like really high word of mouth, at a moment of time, by definition, they want to talk about the product. Hmm. So if you equip them with the right information, you can help facilitate that in a better way. And again, that gets back to then like, if you know Judy has specifically high word of mouth, then you can target Judy with that. Like some of the common ways that you at least see people kind of try to brute force this are through like referral programs and those types of things. Do you think that incentive helps? I mean, I'm sure it can help on some some products, but do you think that this actually like incentivizing word of mouth is worthy of kind of focus? Probably not the answer you want to hear. It depends by industry. It depends mostly by the type of customer that you have. And again, I'll go back to like ed tech because I think there's some great examples here. In ed tech, if you're trying to get teachers to share something and like, if let's say you have a product that's really high NPS and there's like a really strong community, like the teachers who are using it, they're probably looking for social proof And you have to really tread lightly about being like, hey, we'll give you an incentive 
for promoting this. Like that might even feel like a little bit dirty if you're giving them cash mm. to do it. Interesting. And so it's, you're more playing to like the, you know, them getting like uh, earning social capital for doing that. You know, maybe for a lot of SaaS businesses, B2B, um, it's different, but really like the core thing I think is you have to understand the customer and like their motivations and how they share in a qualitative manner. Like a lot of growth people will be stuck in just the data, sure. but I think now you have to move beyond that. It has to be coupled with deep customer understanding. A couple of like kind of examples I've seen, and you know, I, I'm more looking for uh, validation that you've seen this too, or even invalidation if you've seen it elsewhere that didn't work. Like do things like customer appreciation notes, like sending the handwritten card to your customers and your users or like customer appreciation gifts, these types of things. Have you seen those like work at all with word of mouth or is that something that like you just haven't studied or seen? I haven't studied and I think if you want to study it or test it, I think you have to do things that are going to be like big because you don't want it to get lost in the noise. It's a hard metric to directly and very cleanly A-B test. You know, there's ways you can do it. So like, again, going back to ed tech, right, you can, you can look at like changes by school. So if you target all the teachers in a school or a school district with this, and then another school district, you don't, you might be able to see changes in that metric because it's much more sensitive. Yeah. But for me, I try for the, the bigger things, like what would really, really get someone to be more yeah. word of mouthy than maybe a note. Notes, not, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I just say, I would sure. say as it comes to word of mouth, think bigger. Yeah. So think about the, you know, thing that helps them through COVID or think about the thing that helps them, you know, through some of these other pieces. Like, where do you think communities kind of fit into this long term? Because we're starting to see more and more B2B companies, even D2C companies do like communities, like almost like either Slack groups or Facebook groups or these types of things. Like, have you noticed any, like anything that influencing or, or what's your theory on it? If you oh, know. yeah. Communities, communities, I think are huge. And like if a company came to me to say, hey, I want to work on word of mouth with you. There's two questions I would, I would try to understand is one, like what is the current NPS of the product? And then two, is there like already a community around it? Those two really are actually the ingredients just conceptually for uh, a product that could have strong word of mouth. Mm. Because NPS, the question is like, how likely are you to recommend this product to like a family member or friend? Sure. And so that literally is like people self-reporting, hey, I'm like very likely to talk about this. Yeah. So if a product has low NPS, then like probably not a great candidate to work on trying to improve word of mouth. Yeah, they got some and then the second things. thing is like communities you're actually talking about, like people are actually talking about the product and you have probably ambassadors already for your product. So if you get those people excited, if you get the community excited, you already kind of have like almost like a channel to spread word of mouth. Like that's the closest thing to a channel. It's like an yeah. engaged community. From a product development standpoint, like what I just kind of realized is growth sometimes can be at odds with product because product wants to build infrastructure. Product wants to build this like next thing that might not be very word of mouthy. Growth, if it's a word of mouth product might be like, no, 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 we need to prioritize the scheduling tool for school teacher meetings because that's where all the word of mouth happens. So we need that scheduling tool to do it, right? Where's How do you get that relationship you know, product. I mean, obviously it kind of comes down to growth and product being a really good fit together, but there are word of mouth high features and there are word of mouth low features. I would venture to say that a lot of product teams, if they're not aligned to growth as much, um, which may be the first problem, 
they typically will build a lot of low word of mouth features um, and maybe get lucky with building some of the high ones on their own. So what's the best path to like make sure you're prioritizing word of mouth features versus, you know, versus other things? I think there are a few steps. So one, I think if you're going to get into the realm of word of mouth, first, you want to make sure you have a high NPS product. Sure. And if you don't have a high NPS product, like double click in why is your core experience like lacking compared to uh, competitors? Like you just not even have like the real baseline. You're not at parity with other people. If so, then don't really work on growth, work on improving the core experience. And then once you have that, then you can start thinking about like, okay, now what can really delight the customer or how can we facilitate word of mouth? So I think there's like a timing element. If I were to work with like a product team, I would just first like say, what should we be focusing on? And if the core experience isn't where it needs to be, I'm going to be the first one to say like, let's not work on growth. Let's work on improving the the product experience. And then we should all be hands-on and trying to understand that, like what will satisfy the customer's need in like a really delightful manner. Yeah, I like that. So if I recap a little bit here, you got to start with a, a good NPS product for the customer that you're targeting. Once I have that good NPS product or high NPS product, I want to hopefully in parallel, but Let's just say if not, I want to make sure my tracking is set up um, so that I can track everything where I'm driving from and then assume basically that everything else is, is that direct or most of that, if not all of it, is that word of mouth. And then I want to explore on this timeline like where I had blips and then what happened before that in order to see if I can put together a hypothesis of what was driving that word of mouth. And depending on the typical usage of my product, that might be easier or harder. And then basically put together a framework of releasing, in your mind, you're a big fan of the bigger things that you think are going to drive word of mouth rather than like small little tactical things. Because one, it'll just be hard to measure. And two, you know, the bigger things get the big swings. Is, is that kind of, if I was if I was to say everything in your mind on word of mouth, is that like a good 30 to 60 second summary? Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Kind of back to my first question, like where do people like misstep in this process? I have my own theory, but I'm, I'm sure you know more than I would. So it's relatively new. And where I think people could misstep is first not setting up the metric the right way. Let's say that, right? Because some of the things we referenced, is it like daily active user? Is that the denominator? Is it weekly active user? Is it monthly active user? Like you first have to figure that out. And then you have to make sure like there's part of this, there's a statistical analysis where Mm -hmm. you're trying to calculate R squared for your version of the metric. Sure. You got to do that and you got to like, make sure that is sound because the foundation of this is that it's predictive. If it's not predictive, you shouldn't be working on it because you don't know if the things you're, you're going to try to influence it, like really are actually influencing it. So I think that's the biggest gap. And I think there's like a lot of ways you can dig into what the denominator and the numerator are. So for example, maybe you do this and you say like the most simple version of saying active user is they open the app or they just open the product, right? Like there's an event that fires that says someone did this. And a lot of companies count that as an active user, but maybe that's too simplistic, right? If someone just opens the app and just does that and close it, like, is there a reason that they would be word of mouthy that day? Like what did that contribute? Probably nothing. But instead, if you define your active user metric as something that's more like they completed this level or this like task or something that's like a different type of goal 
you could design the right, like your version of the metric and actually find, you know, that strong correlation. That's like the first part. And that's what you want to do. And I think that's where people might stumble and probably will need more help. And that's where I talked about, I've been like guide them through that process. Yeah. Are there products that won't have word of mouth or that word of mouth, like shouldn't be a focus? Like, how do you think about that? Cause I, I mean, maybe like in for big old infrastructure, like systems integration products or something like, how do you, how do you think about defining if this should be a focus or not? I think there's a, a few things that make it a, a poor candidate is one, if there are few customers, like, you know, certain products, right? Like large enterprise products, there's fewer customers than, you know, maybe a B to SMB product. So you have a small data set and it's harder to do growth work on a smaller data set. And then two, things that really involve sales teams and have like a really strong sales cycle, that's not a good fit either because you're just selling so much directly. You're less likely to encounter the situation where this person is just talking to that person. And that's the predominant thing because like they're literally having like meetings and conversations with someone who's selling it to them. That's going to be the most predominant thing and probably to the thing that might like mask the impact of word of mouth. So I just don't think it's like a great candidate for this type of analysis or this type of product or marketing work. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I just think if you look at the greater market and how competitive different channels are, you know, we're kind of reinventing a lot of channels, right? That's what ABM, I don't know how much you know about ABM, but it's kind of it's like sales of 10 years ago. And so it's kind of interesting to see that I think word of mouth, at least from you know my perspective, is probably going to become a bigger thing um, over time, mainly because people look at that more as a free channel, even though obviously it's a lot of work. And so it'll, it'll be interesting how that, it all shakes out. I'm going to go back on something I said. So if you have like a big company like Oracle or something, yeah. you know, where I just said you can't do it, maybe you can't do it at the global level for the company, meaning like... Yeah. Oracle as like a broad product, but or like Salesforce, right? Has like a marketplace for other SaaS products. Like that's a candidate. You could look there as like the word of word of mouth there, because again, it's smaller. There's gonna be a lot more transactions and it's not going to really require like a big yeah. sales team. Kind of picking your spots, if you will. Cause that's, yeah. that's, what's interesting. Cause you could probably break this down for a newsletter, you could break this down for a webinar, like series or something like that. Like it, it starts to get harder to track at certain places, but I think it's, it's more of like all good things. It's more about what is the framework and then how can I apply that framework to different things, which, which is what I enjoyed about your research yep. and stuff like that. Yeah. Cool, thank man. you. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, we're basically out of time here. So where could people find you and uh, anything you want to plug? So uh, you can find me on LinkedIn or you can sign up for my Substack account. You can just search Yusuf by G Substack. I'll be the only person who shows up and I'm moving all my articles there and we'll be, you know, publishing more on word of mouth and just other stuff growth related. I personally think growth as a function needs to be reinvented. Mm. And so that's what my writing will be more around that. That's awesome. I'm a big fan of that. But yeah, feel free to feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Awesome, yeah, man. of course. Yeah. Appreciate this. And I'll put that all in the show notes as well, but it was good having you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been great. A huge thank you to Yusuf for his contributions to this episode. Now you have what it takes to be a stellar word of mouth marketer. We talked about a variety of topics like destigmatizing the cannabis industry, how to measure word of mouth marketing, creating delightful moments, the ingredients for strong word of mouth, and missteps to avoid in the word of mouth process. 
Oh, if you want to support ProfitWell and the show, we would appreciate it if you left a five-star review of this podcast or the equivalent wherever you listen and watch. The podcast gods tend to like that type of thing, and we like to appease the podcast gods. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, the largest, fastest-growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions. Subscriptions.